Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and welcome to this episode of Lifestyle Matters. Once again, we have the good Dr. Savina with us. Hello, Savina. Hi, Fergal. How are you? I'm very well. So I thought we'd continue our discussions on the benefits of exercise and particular focusing today on the metabolic, the vascular and the immune functions of exercise. So, so let's just dive in straight away and talk about diabetes. How does exercise affect, first of all, pre-diabetes and then diabetes? What would you say to those issues? All right. Well, let me start with a trial that was actually ran across 27 different centers called the Diabetes Prevention Program, uh, which was basically a trial that they had ran to see how what the differences were between people who actually were on metformin which is a common diabetic medication, um, to people who were just using lifestyle interventions um, and to see whether if it would delay or prevent diabetes uh, with people who had impact glucose tolerance, which is basically them having trouble handling sugar. Interestingly, the study um, found, you know, they studied about 3,000 people who had in, um, this problem. And they actually found that people who actually did lifestyle intervention had a lower risk of developing going on to develop diabetes, um, mm -hmm. which was great results, really. Yeah, so let's drill down into this diabetes prevention program. It was one of the seminal studies that demonstrated that lifestyle was better than any pill for the prevention of diabetes. And so the lifestyle interventions that they used were basically exercise and weight loss. So exercising for at least 150 minutes per week of at least moderate intensity. So that goes back to the brisk walking that we've talked about before. And then they also had their patients uh, lose weight for 7% of their body mass, right? So a modest amount of weight loss and moderate intensity exercise that anyone could do, brisk walking, and they find that the risk of progression from pre-diabetes to diabetes was reduced by 58% in the intervention group and only 30% in the metformin group. And this was over 12 months. So it's got long, there's a long tail in the data. It basically shows that metformin is not as good as exercise in the prevention of, of diabetes. That's just a spectacular result, isn't it? Great news for lots of people, I'm sure. And I don't think people know that, like people, you know, lots of people think you, you, you've, you're doomed when you've been diagnosed with diabetes, but that's not actually true, is it? Yeah. Well, it's not even true for pre-diabetics either. I think I don't, first of all, I don't think people understand that there is this concept of pre-diabetes where your sugar control is a bit ragged, but you haven't yet got so bad that you're fully diabetic. And then people don't understand that, that it is a progression which can be avoided. So the oil tanker does not inevitably sail onto the rocks. Once you know that you're heading towards trouble, you can do something about it yourself to reduce your risk of actually becoming diabetic. And the, these interventions are not impossible. You know, it's 30 minutes of walking a day and 7% weight loss over 12 months. You know, that, those are achievable goals. It's not inevitable that people with prediabetes become diabetic. Yep. So, and the other, when we come down to diabetes itself, also they found mm -hmm. that when you just measuring HbA1c, which is your average sugar readings over three months, yeah. Um, yeah. they actually found that, you know, if you exercised more than 150 minutes a week, 
you actually mm -hmm. reduce your HbA1c even more. Um, and with a combination of doing both aerobic um, cardio exercises and also strength-based exercises. So, Yeah, and that's a key point. And we will go back to this point in due course. To actually deal with insulin resistance, you need combined exercise. You need resistance training and aerobic training to, to, to have the best benefit of reducing insulin resistance, reducing your levels of insulin, reducing weight, and also reducing your requirements for treatment for diabetes. But I suppose with, with when you actually come go across the threshold for diabetes, weight loss and attention to proper diet takes more of an important role compared to the exercise component, whereas contrasting that with the pre-diabetic situation where it's actually the exercise that I think has a more prominent role in the management of the problem. Would you agree with that or is it, am I? I would, I would say diet's still important though. Like, yeah. Um, you yeah. know, yeah, mm -hmm. diet's still gonna be important, you know, minimizing that carb, carbohydrate intake and things. Oh, well, yeah. the simple carbohydrates, not the complex carbohydrates. Yes, I was um, gonna say you were gonna be a bit contentious there. You know, <laughs> no, 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 I should have. Another... Yeah. <laughs> All right, okay. Complex carbs. So, so yeah. what we can agree though, is that exercise is so important it reducing the progression of, of pre-diabetes to diabetes and also a combination of strength training and aerobic exercise at a greater intensity is part of the solution for diabetes. So moving on from diabetes, what role do you think exercise plays in the, first of all, the prevention of heart disease and then the management of heart disease? So as we know, heart disease is one of the biggest causes of deaths in Australia. Um, and essentially, there were there was a trial that actually looked at um, the fact that exercise was actually as good as um, medications in preventing people who have had heart disease to get another bout of heart attack or angina. So that was the secondary prevention. So we know that exercise is part, has to be part of the management plan. So when you get your heart attack, you go on your aspirin, your statin, your gramoprol, your ACE inhibitor, your various other medications. Exercise has got to be part of that. But we also know that exercise can reduce your risk of having your first heart attack also. So it, you know, it's got a significant role in primary prevention. So we know that if you actually walk an additional equivalent of 550 calories per week, you actually reduce your risk of having your first heart attack, having an, an episode of ischemic heart disease by 20 to 30%. So again, we're seeing that lifestyle reduces the risk of the first episode. And then when you get your heart attack, it's part of the management plan for managing your life there afterwards. And it's as good as all of the other interventions. It's, and in some cases, with appropriate holistic lifestyle intervention, it is it is better than you know standard treatment which includes pills and, and coronary artery stenting you know how we always talk about high, um, blood pressure management you know apart from medications well not apart yeah. from medications first line should really be lifestyle changes we talk yeah. about the snap the smoking the nutrition the alcohol and the physical activity yeah. um, so there has been actually some uh, data to show that exercise can even lower your blood pressure even yeah. as much as eight millimeters mercury yeah. which is pretty astounding look i mean that's uh it's a probability risk it's not actually you know definitely eight millimeters mercury but but the fact that there is that reduction by exercising it's 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 great and as we know heart, having high blood pressure is a risk factor for developing a heart disease yeah um 
Yeah, and also let's look at exercise in a greater context in terms of hypertension. So for me, hypertension is, is closely related to metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance. So exercise reduces weight, makes you uh, feel good, makes you eat better, which helps you reduce further weight, reduces your insulin resistance, reduces your blood pressure. So it's so closely interwoven with all of the other aspects of lifestyle medicine. Um, now let's look at stroke. Tell us what you think about exercise and stroke. So exercise and stroke, blood pressure, another mm -hmm. thing, which we know blood pressure is a risk factor for developing a stroke. So yeah. exercise will help reduce that. Yeah. Um, it improves your circulation yeah. uh, because you're getting more blood flowing through yeah. um, your vessels. Yeah. Um, and the, I guess, in terms of secondary um, effects, I suppose um, they have found that in, if you have had a stroke, exercise is actually even better than medications after you've had a stroke to improve your quality of life. So what, um, what but that's you, my take on stroke. What do you say to people who say, oh, I can't exercise because I've had my stroke in case I blow a gasket? Or, or another one that I've yeah. heard, another one that I've heard is, oh, I've just rushed into the surgery, doctor, so my blood pressure is going to be high because as you know, doctor, exercise increases your blood pressure. What do you say to those two things? <laughs> All right, let's start with the first one. Right. Um, the first one is, as you said before, with, when we talked about osteoarthritis in the previous episode, um, start slow go slow. Um, don't go trying to do a um, high intensity workout at the start after you've had a stroke, gentle exercises. And you look, after you've had a stroke, you'll be seeing a rehab physio. They'll help you guide you through those gentle maneuvers and go slow and build up on that. Yeah. Um, that would be what I would tell them. Would you tell them anything differently, Fergal? Yeah, everything needs to be paced, but exercise is good for people and exercise is good for people who've had strokes. So you won't blow a gasket unless you are completely overdoing it. So, you know, that, and that's why, you know, rehabilitation is so important. What about the, oh, I've been exercising, doctor, therefore my blood pressure is high. What do you think about that? <laughs> Well, I think that's probably got to do more with the fact that they've just been the adrenaline rush and they've rushed then that might have been the reason for the blood pressure that's gone up. I, yeah. I personally, when, when someone comes into my room and says, check my blood pressure, but I've been, I've been rushing. To me, that is a sign of they know that I know that their blood pressure is going to be high. <laughs> and it needs treatment. I mean, I, I don't believe in, in uh, accepting that people's blood pressure should be ignored if it's high in surgery. So this concept of white coat hypertension in and of itself has been identified as a risk factor for, you know, uh, cardiovascular disease, ischemic heart disease. And really, if Fogel, it, uh, yeah, you, go on. Oh, sorry. And, you know, interesting that you mentioned that I'm now reflecting on my practice. I've had quite a few times where people come, um, they say they've just walked in, um, they've walked from home to the appointment and their blood pressure will be high. Don't bother checking it. Yeah. And when I've actually checked it, it's actually been low and they're actually surprised <laughs> why it's low all of a sudden. Well, and maybe like, it's your calming effect of exercise. Maybe it's your oh, maybe. effect you know, I don't know. <laughs> but put it this way, when they come to my room, it's always high. <laughs> but I, I think, Might have something to do yeah, with that. I think it's important to understand that, you know, maybe one-off uh, readings are not accurate, but the best way of actually diagnosing hypertension, the disease of hypertension, is with a 24-hour blood monitor, a blood pressure monitor, and exercise is part of the management of that, as are so many other things. But in terms of stroke, going over, you know, stroke, as we know, is a brain disease. The American guidelines have suggested the following key factors 
for brain health, which I've already alluded to in the previous episodes. But basically, let's reiterate the absence of smoking, appropriate levels of exercise, appropriate diet, blood pressure that's controlled to less than about 130 over 80 and uh, glucose of less than 5.5 and a cholesterol less than 5.2. So, so we can see that you know exercise plays a significant role for brain health. So you know, it should not be discounted or ignored. Moving on to the immune system, let's talk a bit about how exercise helps with immunity. So exercise um, helps to improve your immune function by increasing the number of your um, infection fighting cells, such as your natural killer cells, your T cells. Um, you, I find, for example, if, you know, the more, well, not the more exercise, but you know, the more regular your exercise, the health, the less likely chances of you having to pick up an infection. And that's my own personal experience too, not just, you know, basically based on research. What do you have to feel? Well, I mean, I think that immunosurveillance is a critical issue for health. And, and it also alludes back to the, the idea that exercise reduces the risk of cancer. You know, part of the reason has to be that exercise stimulates immunosurveillance and therefore reduces your risks. Um, so, I, first of all, I would agree that exercise can boost your immunity, but I'm not advocating that people when they're in the middle of an infectious disease episode, start you know, you know going back to the gym. You know, let's just emphasize that if you're if you're not well, you need to rest, and then see a doctor if it's if it's appropriate for you to do so. So I think Savina, we've run out of time again. I think now is a good place to uh, stop. Uh, I think next time we talk about we'll talk about uh, exercise and how we can think about the barriers to exercise and then more de and we'll also discuss in more detail the kinds of exercise that we can do. But for today, thank you so much. Thank you, Fergal. That's all for today's Lifestyle Matters. My name's Dr. Fergal Armstrong. We'll see you next time.